Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey Greasters, I hope you're having an okay week. I'm I'm feeling good this week because I have finished the first draft of my book, um, You Are Not Alone, which uh, if you don't know, I'm writing a book based on the podcast and what we talk about and what all the guests have been talking about and I finished it. Obviously now I have to edit it, but my God, I feel pretty pretty joyful as you can hear um i will let you know as soon as you can pre-order it i know some of you have been asking me i don't actually know when you can but i'm sure it'll be soon um but thank you for all your lovely words um of encouragement as i have been moaning about it quite a lot and thank you for your lovely words about the series so far as ever if you've been enjoying it please do rate review subscribe or just tell someone who you think will enjoy it it really does help me continue to make the show This week I'm talking to an extraordinary person. It is the incredible Philippa Perry. Philippa is a psychotherapist, an author, a journalist, a television presenter. Uh, You will know her from watching Grayson's Art Club or you'll know her from her book, The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read or Couch Fiction. She is a genuinely, staggeringly intelligent, brilliant person. So I was uh, hugely excited to speak to her. Philippa came in to talk to me about her friend Bonnie who passed away very recently. And we also talked about her mum and dad and her journey to dealing with the process of their deaths. It's really hard. I've interviewed a few psychotherapists and it's really hard not to start a therapy session when I'm talking to you. Do you know what I mean? Don't worry about that. That would be going straight into my comfort zone. So that would be fine. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's true, isn't it? Um, Yeah. I'm asking everybody this as well, because obviously, like, how how is your current lockdown? I used to be like, how's lockdown? But how's lockdown three working out for you on this snowy day um, in London? I'm sort of better at lockdown now. Oh, and yeah. I've, um, 
sort of rejigged all my projects so I'm doing a lot more zooming mm. and uh, less sort of writing on my own which I find just bad enough yeah. normally but when you can't go out to dinner afterwards it's terrible so I've sort of put my new book on hold for a bit and I'm doing more broadcasting because oh. it's more collaborative and more fun that's a good idea I'm trying to write a book <laughs> <laughs> and it is really you're so right because it's so isolating and yeah I guess when I was writing it pre-pandemic I would then go and do a gig uh, you know, yeah. I'm a comedian so I then like and then I would like laugh and be like yay oh yeah life life's fine you know and the thing about going out and doing a gig because I do gigs in my own way I wouldn't yeah, call yeah. Them stand up but I do have a go sometimes um is the the banter and the interaction with the audience and the ideas they give me the questions mm. they ask me feeds my work and that's all sort of dried up obviously the uh, you know meeting yes. the public bit so that's so true isn't it you forget the sort yeah. of interaction that happens with with an audience it's yeah and it's or uh, at a party like what yeah. are you working on right now well I'm doing this thing oh really and then you know they're really helpful I know yeah just things that people just casually pass oh have you yeah. read that and you're like uh no <laughs> what's that <laughs> exactly. they're like oh it's really famous you're like oh my god quick 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 yeah all that kind of how we well, are, I are, did my PhD in this oh did you <laughs> Can you come on my radio show? Like yeah. I'm supposed to be doing a radio show about desire at the moment. Ooh. And normally I'd just be talking to people all the time about mm. what their experience of desire was. And, I, you know, I've asked my husband once or twice. <laughs> and he, think, he thinks I'm hinting at something. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. It's too cold. Please don't, yeah. don't even consider it. I'm so, I've got so many layers on that I'm not willing to start that negotiation. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's hard in that in that artistic. Oh, it sounds a bit wanky, but what I mean is like how much we connect with each other and that artistic interaction that can happen when not, you know people spark your brain. We took. I definitely took that for granted. I'd just be like, oh, yeah. I had a chat, and then I came home. You know, I didn't realize how important it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. To the work, I think, especially as you said, when you're writing, yeah, because I'm, yeah, I am writing a book based on the podcast. It's about death, <laughs> so yeah, it's very, it's pretty bleak, especially when it's like this. It's like, oh my god, it's snowing. I'm researching death figures. Then I turn the news on, and they say more thousands and thousands of deaths. You think, Jesus, yeah. I, I might have chosen the wrong topic for a podcast, but anyway. It's, it's what it I is. don't think you have. I think it's <laughs> good a timing, good topic. Right? <laughs> I, I think it's a very good topic. So speaking of that topic, um, who are we remembering today? Or perhaps there may be more than one person. Well, the last funeral I went to was for my friend Bonnie, who uh, she was a, a woman who never complained very much, even though there was an awful lot on her plate. Mm. And she thought oh, I've got a bit of backache. I think I need some physiotherapy at some point. And for her to even think that, yeah. anyway, she, she didn't have backache. She had cancer. She was really oh, good at it. Oh, and God. It was only like three months from discovering it to her dying. <gasps> and Blimey. she was young, you know, like mm. uh, her oldest child, I think, was about 12. Oh. She had four or five children. I didn't count them. <laughs> my my special friend of her children was uh, a young woman about my daughter's age, about 28. Uh, she's called Celeste. And how heartbroken those children are. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just sad. 
so it's sad. sad when mm. someone who is you know in the center of her world and so important to so many people just fades away and dies mm. so quickly it's um it's very sad and uh one thing about a funeral for a a person in the should be at the prime of her life mm. you see it's so full so yeah. i'm so glad this happened before lockdown i was gonna say this was before everything else kicked off so yeah i mean a very elderly acquaintance of mine has recently died and i was asked to join in with the funeral on zoom i just mm. thought oh god no what crying on my own no thanks <laughs> so i mean it was a very very beautiful she was like one of the people i met you know when you have a kid you go to mm. baby gym and you yeah. go to soft play and all this stuff she was one of the people i met doing that sort of thing and our husbands are both artists so you know we had a double connection and you have such a bond with people that you bring up babies together sort of thing yeah. and i met so many of the women that i used to know in in, oh uh, wow and the baby you know, groups, the, yeah. one, the, the one o'clock club or whatever yeah it was yeah we went to and we sort of saw them all again and we're all old now well older you know in our six in our late 50s and 60s and uh you know it's just beautiful to meet up with them and cry and cry mm. you know you can't do anything else you know it's no you can't it's really i mean this was about this was about 18 months ago and you can wow. still hear in my voice it's quite raw Mm. Well, yeah, and also I think it's hard. Anything that did happen just before COVID, it, almost in normal times, you would have kind of grieved and you would have maybe talked to other friends about it, and then everything kind of got swept away by oh, well, now we're we're dealing with this. So yeah. that's why I think it's. I think if you're grieving because you lost someone through COVID, it's unbelievably difficult time. But if you're grieving for losing someone for a different reason, it's very difficult to yeah. find the space for that grief at the moment because. All there is everywhere is COVID pandemic. Everybody's upset. And it's like, well, where do you put that? Well, this is just sort of normal pain. A friend died. I'm sad. Where's yeah. where's the room for that? And um, it's it's interesting. I find, so obviously my dad died when I was 15. And I always find it, I remember seeing people as upset as you are about us. Yeah. And as a teenager, you, you don't understand. You're like, oh, they seem really sad. <laughs> oh, okay and it's not until you get older that you realize like they un they understand like family friends can see what you've lost but you don't know yet so you're sort of in this slightly oh, blissful yeah. place where you don't really know what you've lost you know it's awful it's not till you get older you're like wow I lost this huge thing but when at the time I remember people weeping and me thinking oh gosh they really liked him I guess <laughs> like or like wow okay I mean I guess they will close because you just you can't conceive of it. And I want, I don't know, yeah. is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it just a thing that you don't, your body and your brain don't quite let you know into what you've lost until you get older and you're a bit more away from the rawness of it? That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, that a, a, a teenager might not know what it mm. is she's lost and, and then she'll know again in her 20s and then yeah. in her 30s. And I, I think, don't know how far you are from that in her 40s, <laughs> in her 50s. Nearly, yeah. And um, having had, I've got two kids now. I had uh, my second just before the first lockdown. And yeah, I, that's the biggest thing I've had to learn through therapy is that the grief changes, continues. Yeah. Every time something big happens, you have to sort of reassess it. But yeah, I think as a teenager, I really didn't. I just thought, oh, this is very sad. 
but I didn't really know I think yeah because you you've got no experience of oh what dads might do you know you've only got your your, oh well currently like you know he was annoying and I didn't speak that much I think one of the things that I imagine must be hard as well as sort of thinking oh I could run him up and ask him how to change a plug but as well as that I expect it's quite painful being successful and not have your dad be proud of you for that yeah there's there's definitely that side to it or that and also having spoken to so many teenage grievers there's often (laughs) I mean this is I'm not trained at all this is like my cod cod uh, cod um theorizing that a lot of teenage grievers tend to work very hard to make the person who's not there proud do you know what I mean that is a driving force a lot of them did you feel that I think there's definitely something that drives you of like it's, uh, it's so hard to explain because it's almost insane. So it's like, oh, I need to prove myself so that they're proud, even though I fully know they're not here. But there's something well, like... I, I, I was just thinking, my dad, I've always wanted to make him proud, right? Uh, he died about eight, nine years ago, I think. And I was never good enough. Mm-hmm. When I, I published my first book in 2010, and it, it was a graphic novel and I showed it to him and he went it's just pictures isn't it oh no not really and I wrote another book called how to stay sane a couple of years later and I dedicated it to him actually I thought that might work if I dedicate the book to him you know he went I could have written a book you know but I never really had time but I could have done I just thought thank god I wasn't doing it for him because that would have been even more of a letdown than it was that's interesting. Do you think there was some part of him that, I don't know what the word to you, but like because he did want to write a book and you had, so it's like he couldn't quite give you that, you know, well done because there was something in him that had not allowed himself to be creative. I think, yeah, there was that because he was quite artistic. You should see how he could arrange a woodyard. It was absolutely beautiful. He <laughs> really had a good, he had a good eye, but he mm. didn't recognise it or know it or know what to do with it. But I think what it was, he could not get out of the parent-child mm. dynamic. Yeah. And so I was always the child. You know, 56, I was still a child. Yeah. And he would refer to me and my elderly sister as uh, the children. <laughs> and, yes, quite funny, but also not funny because yeah. there's a part of you that wants to be recognised for having grown up. Mm. And I didn't get that. And I can imagine if I'd lost him when I was 15, he might have got to sainthood status. And I might have imagined him as someone who was, you know, my cheerleader on every step of the way. But yeah, it's it's definitely if you if the conversation gets stopped early, it's very hard to work out what you're actually talking about I suppose you know what I mean because when you're a teenager you're kind of having this you're in conversation with your parents but you sort of don't know you are (laughs) and I've said this before on the show like when he died I just didn't have the vocabulary I it was like you know trying to learn French it's a bit you don't know I don't know how to express how I feel that this person is gone um I definitely he definitely didn't become sainthood uh thanks to his general behavior before he dies so um yeah that was quite good actually although I think I slightly sainted him because my brother slightly um whatever the opposite of sainting is you know like 
what's the word there's a word isn't it like my brother very much knocked him off the pedestal so I think we both pulled in opposite directions but I think it's quite healthy actually that we had each other's voices so that he would always be like oh he was awful and I'd always be like oh but he did do this and so I think it was quite helpful because every time you went too far down one way you'd be like he did do that that was awful wasn't it (laughs) that was really annoying you you can always be angry with him for dying on you oh and I absolutely I was furious I was furious on on him for dying yeah Yeah, and that took a long a long time to realize and again that's what I mean when you're a teenager you just don't you just don't understand what the you might you know I know this is anger but I don't know why or what the concept of being angry at someone for dying takes I think it took me yeah till I was in my early 30s when I finally found the right therapist and you know dealt with it did you I want to run about psychotherapist did you get therapy after your dad died or how were you already oh, no. in therapy like <laughs> like did you have any counseling I had about to have, I had to have a lot of therapy because when my parents were still alive <laughs> to cope with it but after, um, he, after I've had I, I've had about uh all in all about probably 25 years of therapy yeah and I haven't had any now for ooh, say about 10 years oh wow I know I'm doing pretty well without it now. <laughs> I, I did have to wean myself off because I had such a great therapist. It was it was quite hard, but um, I didn't really need to go anymore. So you didn't feel like after he died, there wasn't a kind of shift. Did you feel like you'd rectified all the I think the things it's beforehand? Not, it's not that I have all my issues neatly tied up. Yeah, in a yeah. Box and bow. It's not that. It's that I think I've internalized now enough good therapists Mm. so that when a disaster comes along I know how to process those feelings that for a while I have no words for Mm. when you haven't got words for a feeling when you've just got the feeling then the feeling has you Mm. when you find the words for the feeling then you have the feeling it's Mm. you still have the feeling okay it's not that the feeling goes away it's just that you're more the boss of it yeah if that makes sense oh my god that makes total sense yeah so for instance you heard earlier that my voice broke a bit when I talked about my friend Bonnie Mm. I might do it again (laughs) but I feel like I'm not I'm not all at sea with it. I'm mm. I'm happy to remember her and I'm happy to feel sad that she's no longer with us. I feel like I've got hold of that. Some people pretend they haven't got feelings about something as a way of dealing with it. I'm fine. <laughs> um, if anybody came into my office for therapy and, and goes, I'm fine. I go, hmm, what does fine mean? Let's unpack that. <laughs> let's, let's unpack the box. Yeah, yeah, what is fine. fine and why is fine. And, <laughs> yeah, we usually get to tears within about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. the, thing, the thing is about tears is that once you allow yourself to have them, they're not as bad as you feared mm. they might be. They don't completely overwhelm me, or at least not much longer than an hour. You know, I can. Your body get does get fed up with anger or tears after a while, and it's probably better to feel it and know that you can handle it than mm. it is to stick it in a box. Oh God, yeah, I think that's incredible, <laughs> incredible advice, Philippa, and said so concisely that um, 
about the feeling I, I definitely can relate to that like well I just didn't have words for it for so many years so I just didn't mm. I just couldn't deal with it because I was like I don't know what this is this is despair terror anger sat like it's everything yeah. and yeah and it took me which is so common for teenage grievers they spend teenage years shock 20s kind of avoidance and then 30s they're like oh maybe yeah. things are connected so yeah. I, I very much hit you know take the boxes of a teenage griever and yeah once I found the words for it it was just like, oh, that's what it is. Like, because I think we just get so frightened when we don't understand things. And I think grief yeah, could I be think frightening. We think if we think about it and try and find words or images or pictures mm. for it, that it will make it worse. Mm. That if, the more we go into it, the bigger it will get. But actually, in my experience, the reverse is true. Mm. When I say my experience, I mean my experience and my hundreds of clients' experience the reverse is true. And once we get used to talking about something and really used to it, I might start somebody off drawing about it if they can't find words. Mm. You know, what would your grief look like if we drew it? And, you know, they might draw a bird or a teddy bear. There's a wonderful book called Grief is a Thing with Feathers. Oh, where yeah, this, Max this, Porter, yeah. Yes, and, this, and this, his grief revisited him in the form of a crow, it seemed. Mm. So many people have found it helpful to find an image for the thing that they're sort of trying to get a handle on, trying to hold. Because yeah. as soon as you've got a word or an image, you've actually got hold of it in a way. Yeah. It's not that you don't feel anymore. It's just that you can handle the feelings. Yeah, I, can, I mean, that's, you know, exactly what therapy did for me. It didn't, like, and I always say this on the show, it didn't make me, oh, I'm not grieving anymore. Oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah. He died. It's fine. <laughs> but it made me go, oh, okay, the feelings, yeah, like, I suppose it's it's like, you know, like something in the box. And if you don't look, it gets worse and worse and worse. And then when you look and you're like, oh, oh, it's a big monster. Okay. That's what it is. Like, <laughs> right, yeah, it's fine. It's a monster. Fine. Yeah. With yeah. three eyes. Yeah. yeah. But it's like that sort of watching a horror film through your fingers, isn't it? It's like, sometimes that's yeah. worse because you don't, sometimes you look and you go, oh, actually the, that special effect is really stupid. I'm laughing. And I think it's just, I definitely had that with therapy. My, and you know, I'm sure she will attest of what she spent four years doing was basically just asking me to cry and then making me realize I would stop because I think that's quite common with grief yeah. as well. You just think if I start, I will never stop. I will, yeah. get, I will cry until I'm dead. <laughs> for grief and for anger. Mm. Um, if I, if I let it out, I'll never stop. I'll yeah. throw all the furniture out of the window. I'll go mad. And wow. yet what you find usually is love or something like yeah. that underneath it all. Or just can't, I think you just cry and you're like, Oh, that's all it was. It just needed attention. It needed like, like a kid. It's like, it just needed five minutes of me actually looking at it as opposed to being like, no, hang on. I'm just gonna, I've just got to, I've just got to. And then it's actually much calmer, but it's, it, you have to be quite, well, I think this is why uh, for me anyway, and obviously everyone's very different. I found therapy so helpful to have someone help me through that process and almost hold my hand and be like, if it yeah. is a big scary monster, I'm here <laughs> like, and I will I, be with yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you've got someone who's apparently trained to coach. Yes. <laughs> I've sort of felt it's, like... That's the illusion. It's you <laughs> that's coping. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloyd. There was something I wanted to go back yeah. to. You asked me, did I have counselling to deal with my parents' death? Yes. And I just, I've just been, that's been on the back boil of what we've been talking. And I'm thinking, I think I know why you asked me that. It's because your relationship with your father was very much unfinished. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas... Mine had run its course. Mm. He was 96. He oh, had wow. dementia. Yeah, yeah. And we had such a beautiful time. Actually, after he got dementia, his sort of layers of defense and stuff wow. were, were pushed away. And he sort of became more like, sort of like, will I get into trouble for that? You know, it sort of became more childlike. Mm. And there was a time when he didn't recognize my sister or I. But at the nursing home, they said, oh, he's so calm after either of you have been. Wow. And I used to sit next to him and he would sort of slump against my body. And the nursing staff said he doesn't do that with anyone else. It's because he feels comfortable with your body, even wow. though he doesn't know who you are. And I went to see him one day and I think the Grand National had been on the telly. And he thought we were at the Grand National. Wow. The telly wasn't even on, but we were at the Grand National, yeah. sort of like, sort of, how did you get up to Aintree? Did you drive? Did you get the train? I went, oh, hello, I think we're at the Grand National. I said, I've got the train, Dad. You know, and he's sort of like, was it crowded because of the races? And then um, he said, I, I, I've put, I've put uh, a £1,000 each way on this. He never <laughs> used to bet like that. And You'd put a tenner on anything at the most, but... And anyway, the horse came in. Wow. Like, I said, it was a favourite, so we've only got £4,000. And I said, <laughs> what are you going to do? I said, what are you going to do with it? And he said, I'm going to give it to my daughter. And I went, oh, really? Uh, what's your daughter like? And he looked at me for ages. And he said, she's a lot like you, only much, much younger. Oh, my God. And anyway, I told my sister this and she said, do you think he's unconscious? Because, you know, she's been my sister for a long time, so she knows about the unconscious. Yeah. Do you think the unconscious is telling us that 
you know, there's treasure hidden back. <laughs> I said, it's worth a look. It's worth a look. Right. There was a safe that's his old stamp collection in it. We were hoping for better. And we, we pulled back the carpet at the edges. And sure enough, under the floorboards, there was this, a secret stash of, uh, of Winston Churchill coins. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think marriage Christ. I think I think this might be the fortune. I'm afraid. Oh, and they, yeah. I think so. there was also some out of date Franks as well. <laughs> <laughs> wow, but that is amazing that your sister was right that there was something hidden. I think she'd remembered that he talked about putting okay. something under the floorboards once as well. So we they, it jogged the memory. Yeah. But, um, That's a really what a sort of profound and beautiful thing to say to you that she looks a lot like you but much younger that's so I didn't know if he was sort of joking because it was a sort of defense of his at the end to pretend he was joking because he Mm. didn't know what was happening and he 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 didn't like the vulnerability of that yeah 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 that's amazing it really helped me as a sort of closure yeah yeah. of our relationship really sort of she's a lot like you and he much much longer so I would be always this sort of child to him yeah, and yeah. he liked me like that and I felt that you know if he had won four thousand pounds on the horses he would have given it to us you know which is very sweet it's good he didn't say to my yeah to the not to my children they're awful <laughs> like he was like no <laughs> to my children you're like good this is because this is the real truth coming out here yeah that's right I think that yeah. it almost goes back to what we were saying about your friend Bonnie doesn't it of like anything where it feels um interrupted a life interrupted there is such yeah. a pain and sadness to that. and like you said a full funeral is a wonderful yeah slash awful thing because it is because yeah I've been to plenty of funerals when someone's in their 90s and there's a handful of people and it's you know like you said it's very sad and it's never you know you never like woohoo when someone dies but also it's like yeah Yeah. okay you and that relationship as you say is completed finished ridden its course yeah and I think whenever someone is taken too young it's it's yeah it, it leaves a lot of complications but um I'm glad that you had that moment with your dad in a way. It sounds yeah. sort of the funniness, not funniness, but the strange way funny. that dementia, yeah, a strange way that dementia yeah. works, that you have these yeah. moments with people that perhaps wouldn't be, you're communicating and the words are not what you're saying. It's very subtext, isn't it? There's lots of stuff going yeah. on. With that's- I mean, that's what I love about working with dreams. It's mm. like people's truth coming, their feelings are coming out as truth. And <laughs> just because they've got metaphors instead of what they're actually thinking about doesn't make it any less true and he yeah. just spoke in metaphors all the time at the end yeah and I was I, I was lucky enough to be able to decipher some of them yeah, you know, yeah. like that one winning yeah. at the races isn't that winning at life haven't I won at life if I win at the races yeah he did have a great life and you know he had a devoted wife a successful business things he liked doing he had his hobbies so you know it was all complete but you know bonnie was definitely a load of unfinished work mm, you know she'd lived it, for her it? children and it was it was it's going to be her time and she never had her time mm. i think that yeah you know all grief is many you know multifaceted but i think there's that that the pain of a grief where it's yeah someone was too young or there's children involved or it just feels like they were just about to they were just that feeling of like they yeah. hadn't and the know. thing is if someone is incredibly vibrant 
and mm. there and alive is that when we're you know two people together and we're, we're in a relationship with each other be that a significant other relationship like you had with your father or a, a mere friendship like I had with Bonnie if some if somebody goes they take with them a sort of part of you and mm. that becomes a void in you like your shared jokes, your shared history, the moments that just you and they, you had together, mm. your shared memories, it's its like losing a part of yourself. And for a moment, I think grief really hurts. Part of the reason grief really hurts is because of that void and that hole in you. But over time, other things do fill it up. Mm. And we, didn't, we needn't feel guilty about that. No, no, absolutely that, not. That, that we don't keep tending the void and keeping the void going. Mm. I don't, that isn't a, a healthy thing to do. And I don't think any dead person would want you to have a, a gaping hole like that. You, um, my favourite one is the ball in the box theory. That, What's that? I haven't heard Oh, that. this I love this for grief so much. So it's like when someone dies the the grief is a ball and it fills up your whole box which is your life like yeah. all you can see yeah. is grief and then as time goes on your life expands and more things happen you have memories you've yeah. been on holiday there's not a lockdown um but the grief stays the same yeah. size but life continues so yeah your box gets bigger but the ball stays the same and at any point that ball might suddenly bounce up to the surface and be there but what it yeah. does is give you permission to go the grief doesn't disappear it doesn't evaporate yeah. it's there but life has built around it. And the first, obviously the more time, you know, so obviously I'm like 20 plus years into my dad dying. There's so much life now that it's like the grief for me, you know, is there, but most days I'm I'm pretty fine. Like even if I yeah. think of him, I'm like, oh yeah. And I do a show and I talk about him all the time. And yeah. of course, every now and again, it will spike up and I'll be like, oh, oh, that was a painful one, but it's very brief. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what we mean when we say, you know, time, time's a healer. We sort of mean that, but it gives people this weird thing of like, oh, so I'm just going to be fine in an hour. But it's like, no, you really, you really need a lot of time and a lot of life. Yeah. And you said, if you tend the grief, you keep your box quite small, don't you? You're not allowing yeah. life to continue. And, and no, you have to, you have to get out. Yeah. You have to uh, have life, whether that's reading books or making new friends or going for walks or going abroad or having a mm. great career. You, you have to do it. Yeah. And like you said, I think it's, I'm sure most of them, you know, wouldn't want you to do that. But obviously when you're, you're in a flow of grief, it's very hard. And I, when I saw that ball in the box, I was like, it was the first time I was like, oh, so I can have life and grief and those things can be at this. Okay. I'm not expected to have got rid of this and tidied it away. That's fine. Yeah. But it sometimes comes up and bothers me. And I think what you said there, like that, um, it's really nice the way you put it of like that void of whatever the relationship with is with someone you are in relationship with them you know whether it is a passing acquaintance or a colleague or a close friend there a is part a of you lives in them yeah yeah and that's the part you lose yeah I you interviewed know. um a beautiful writer and radio presenter actually Emily Dean and she lost her mum her dad and her sister very close together and wrote a brilliant book about it called Everyone Died So I Got a Dog, which is very funny. <laughs> but she, her parents were very bohemian. The expression she used, which I love, um, was she said, I lost my witness when my sister died. So I lost yeah. the witness to this person who could go, do you remember when the 
person playing Doctor Who came around at midnight and we all had to get drunk, even though we, you know, and we had to do a, a play at, at midnight and our pajamas. And there were all these actors and comedians there. And her sister yeah. would be like, yeah, that happened. And losing your witness as well to something yeah. as well, like maybe with you and Bonnie, like you said, like the one o'clock club and all that stuff you've been through. It's that person who yeah. saw you can remember those things with you. Yeah. And it's lonely to remember them by yourself. Yeah. My husband once interviewed for a documentary he made, this lady whose uh, husband had Alzheimer's. And as he lost his memories, his shared memories with her, she felt she was losing them. So that was sort of like partly yeah. a sort of living death of that. I thought that was very poignant. Mm. Yeah, they yeah, living grief. And they always, they describe that, especially for Alzheimer's, but... um you know, as soon as you get the a cancer diagnosis, you are living in that grief because you're all yeah. Yeah, a terminal diagnosis, obviously, sorry, not a cancer yeah. diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis. And it's, yeah. Our, yeah, it's, that's very poignant, isn't it? To, I guess it's to accept that memories aren't yours. Like you have yours, but actually you share a lot of memories with people and you can, yeah. uh, you can build puzzles together almost, can't you? Like, oh, that happened and yeah. you said this and you did that. And when you yeah. are by yourself, you're, sort of an unreliable narrator aren't you like well I have is that true I definitely have that with my dad because obviously it was so long ago so there's stuff that you're like oh my god is that a memory or have I invented that or like did that has that got mixed with three holidays and one memory like I've made into this other thing it's very um it's very slippy yeah it is slippy I think there's more to it than that even I mean there's the actual thing of actual memories but you are also the person you are when you're with them yes and you lose that person that Mm. you are with them Mm. because you can't be exactly the same with another person you know when I mean I noticed this most when uh, I had a full practice as a psychotherapist but when one client came in I'd have a sort of sense of the atmosphere of the vibe going on. And then another client came in and it would change. Mm. You know, the atmosphere would change. So like like you have C8 clients in a day and you'd almost be, you'd be the same person, obviously, but almost eight different people as well. Yeah. And you know how you feel when you're with some people, you, you're having a really good time. And what that means, you love you while you're with them yeah you know because you you love you love being with them but that means you enjoy the sensations and the experiences you're having in your body Mm. when you're with them and if a friend dies we lose that very unique experience of being the us we were were when we Mm. were with them you know, they'd make you laugh in a certain way or cry in a certain way or see things in a certain way or just not even anything tangible that you can get hold of. Yeah. It's just the, the feeling mm. of being with them. That part of you goes. Mm. You get different feelings, perhaps even better feelings with being with other people when you have more life. But that feeling, you know goes and I think the feeling a child has you know when they're holding a parent Mm. you're not going to get that with anyone else 
No, it's a it's a particular yeah particular loss isn't it and I speak to so many people you know people who've lost siblings or children or friends or grandparents who meant very much to them and it, we always say on the show there isn't a grief hierarchy there's just different griefs yeah but yeah that the relationship of parent to child is very complicated <laughs> and yeah. special and bizarre and all of those things because you know you are inherited so much of yourself from from these two people that you're you know they're responsible for you in so many ways not just safety but like your literal existence so and also that thing of being proud of you when a parent is proud of a child mm. their pride in you means more in a way than the applause of an audience mm. or the or the the book charts or whatever it is yeah it's, yeah it's sort of like i did good you know, it's sort of really primal. Yeah, it's, it's like your, I sort of think it's your first audience. Your first audience are your parents. And so however you learn to what, you know, however you learn pride or approval, whatever the way they teach yeah. you, they, they are the first people who laugh when you say something or say, yeah. wow, oh my goodness. Like when you do all of that stuff. So that's when either you, <laughs> well, it says a lot about comedians, isn't it? Because yeah, what, what didn't we get? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> We then went to the audience, but um, but yeah. I I'm, mean, why why do I have to go out in public? You know, <laughs> was it because he did say something like, "Oh, I could have written a book." I thought, yeah, you. I am going to show you. <laughs> I'm going to keep showing you. So, do you feel like because obviously you like you said he he wasn't very vocal with that, but you felt like by the end that you had reached a place with him that it was okay. It was okay, even I think though he, he had he had a belief. A mistaken belief that if he showed his children his pride mm. or his approval, they wouldn't try anymore. Something uh, like that. Yeah, and he yeah, sort yeah. of kept it up. You know, we're in our 50s, 60s now, you know, keep it up by all means. But, um, yeah. you know, so yeah, when that thing happened with the Aintree race course and mm. stuff, and I'll give it to my daughter and the, the winnings, I just felt he would have given it to me. But yeah. the thing is, if we're going to have a fantasy about someone, it's so much better if we can make it a good one. Like, <laughs> how, how much ch more cheerful am I thinking yeah. he wanted to give me and my sister treasure yeah. rather than he was hiding his, his what he thought was his fortune forever <laughs> yeah. so we wouldn't get it. You mean, you, we could make two sort of fantasies two truths yeah yeah you can yeah. Change it, you? well but two fantasies and so if i had an advice for anyone is is you're going to have a fantasy about someone else's motive just make it a good one mm. because you'll be so much happier that's so interesting i wonder if that yeah it's like the key to happiness it's a isn't it it's a, <laughs> it's a difficult switch to flick it is but, but also what? i think if i think of my friends who are very happy people if they had like say an interaction in a shop that was, you know, someone might be a bit rude and I would say to them, what do you think happened? They'd be like, oh, oh, they probably just had a bad day and never mind, like, that's fine. And yeah. I think of my friends who tend more to more depression, they'd be like, this always yeah. happens to me. Like everyone's rude. And I, you can see that it's just like, yeah, the way people view their yeah. experiences and you're right. Like if you can view happy motives, you know, it's much easier. Like, oh, I always think that about London when people complain like, oh, you know, London's so busy or this and everyone's rude and you're like oh everyone's just having a really cool time and they're in a hurry to get there like because they're, they're having these amazing experiences like there is makes... actually there is a theory about that 
uh, and it's in crowded places such as Japan, Tokyo, and you know London, is that people have this thing where we're so crowded together that people are very respectful of everybody's individual yeah, space. Yeah, that's high. So this is a good you. this is a good fantasy. <laughs> so it's not that they're being unfriendly, it's that they're respecting your privacy mm. in the tube train or, or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. I, I remember reading that about the tube and as I was uh, despite my worst name, I was brought up in London. And that to me makes perfect sense it's like I'm not being rude it's just like we've all got like 30 centimeters around us so you mind yours I mind mine and if you need yeah. help we'll shout and yeah. I've had so many friends move to London and be like oh, everyone's so rude I'm like but why do you need me to say hello to make you feel better like why do I have to smile for your date like that's what I think London's quite good at it's like yeah. I've got my little circle I've got my phone I've got my paper I've got my book I'm I've sorted myself out why do I have to say hello to you yeah Honestly, if someone says hello yeah. I'll say hello back unless obviously it's a creepy person um <laughs> i yeah i mean it works if you stay in the city i think that's the thing like my mum also grew up in london and is is very londony and i think taught me very like any single kind of any man look you anything your first words are fuck off like you don't yeah. <laughs> never say hello and it's st- it stood me in good stead for living in london if i had to move yeah. somewhere else it might be a bit more tricky um <laughs> yeah um do you mind me if i ask about your mum if, like, oh, do you... ask me about my dear mother, <laughs> yeah. um, who died when my daughter was about six or seven, I think, mm-hmm. and she's 28 now, so that was much longer ago. She was she was older than my dad, and she died quite, quite young for our family. She died at 83, which, of course, <laughs> is not young at all. But, no. <laughs> but for, yeah, for your, your obviously, strong yeah. genes, that's good. Yeah. What happened? And what happened? Uh she got food poisoning and then it became septicemia and then oh, she died so that must have been very quick uh she was always ill okay she was always ill so i mean she had oh she had lots of operations and things uh backache um i think she was depressed mm. and it sort of came out in a sort of physical manifestations and my fantasy is that she wanted to be good and kind all her life. And to do that, I fantasize, she repressed some of the, the self in her mm. that she thought wasn't nice enough to be let out. And I think it, it got her down. Yeah. And I think she was a bit depressed and down. But when anyone came round, she'd pick up like this, hello. Nice to see you. How marvellous. Can I get you some tea, gin and tonic? What would you like? But, you know, she'd slump again Mm. when they left. My father was a very dominant personality and I think hers got a bit crushed and she didn't ever think about it or knew what to do about it, really. Mm. She was lovely. (laughs) She's a very (laughs) nice person. She wouldn't be anything else. (laughs) Well, maybe that's a good thing in a way. Like, all she wanted was to be nice so that your memory of her is like yeah there she was, was a really nice there, person there was a bit of martyr that would go with it um, yeah. yes the great thing about somebody knowing you really well is mm. they know which parent you're being when you're <laughs> behaving and yesterday um, we're Grayson my husband and I are about to uh, film a new series of Grayson's Art Club and That's, I said yeah this studio is an absolute tip. We've got to clean it. So yesterday I sort of got the hoover out 
and it's, it's quite a big studio. I hoovered it, <laughs> I dusted it, I mopped it, and you have to mop it about four times before the bucket gets clean. It took me about three hours. Oh, my God. He was working away the whole time <laughs> I was doing it, doing his proper art while I was doing the, <laughs> while I was doing the mopping. And uh, I was sort of getting under his feet with the mop. Mm. And he went, all right, Nance. That was the name of my mother. All right, Nance. I said, I know. He said, <laughs> and he said, it's not called Grayson's Clean Studio, you know. It's called <laughs> Grayson's Art Club. I went, I can't help it. But I just did like that he knew I was being my mother at that yeah. point, you know, sort of like, it's got to be tidy for the visitors. You know? <laughs> it's it's like, the whole bleeding country, for God's sake. Of course it's got to be tidy. Yeah, it's, it's too late. It's, it's art. It's all right. It's messy. It's like, that's it's fine. But that innate, you've been brought up to believe that, yeah, if you show yeah. something messy, that's I mean, somehow awful. He <coughs> might want to, the whole place to look like Francis Bacon's studio, but I have a certain <laughs> pride about it. I'm sure Nance would have been proud that you got the hoover out, you mopped, and you didn't you didn't just do a quick job. You did it sounds like you did no. it properly. Still feel pleased. it today in my back, actually. <laughs> I'm is too that, old for that. <laughs> but it's that weird um not tension, but like I don't know, humanity, I suppose, of knowing you're doing something because of your parents, but also being aware enough to be okay with it rather than like punishing yourself afterwards of like oh yeah. god I'm just being my mother but being like yeah fair play that's how I was brought up and you know I'm just, yeah, I, I think my mother's standards <laughs> of housework were pretty damn good and I'd like to keep them up yeah okay. yeah but yeah it's nice that you don't then berate yourself for it or then feel obviously you've, you've had enough therapy and are self-aware enough to be like yeah you're sometimes echoing your parents in a way and that Jason can comment on it and it's not a row do you know what I mean like, oh no it's quite funny I know what <clears throat> yeah. he's doing it's, it's yeah. I mean I, I and he knows when I'm being my dad as mm. well that's when I'm usually bodging something around <laughs> the house <laughs> Sort of and like, going, it's fine, it's fine. We don't need a new wardrobe. Look, I can put this stick up between these shelves and the corner and hang some hangers on it. That'll do. And he'll go, all right, Mark, <laughs> getting a new wardrobe. <laughs> that's really, I think that's really beautiful that, um, yeah, when you, when you, someone really, really knows you, like you say, and they can see, it's quite, yeah. it's quite, um, you have to know when to play that card. I certainly think like there's times when, if my husband is is doing that or if I'm doing it and it's like yeah. it's not the day to mention it <laughs> like I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna say it today but me and my brother do it to each other quite a lot I'd be like all right dad and you're like <gasps> and that's yeah. it's quite a good pull up because you're like oh yeah, yeah god I am I am and I that's a bit weird yeah. okay Ugh, yeah we are our parents we <clears> can't <throat> we can't get around it it's just good to be the 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 positive aspects <laughs> of one's parents yes. rather than the negative <laughs> ones the yeah. other one that both my parents have that I can do is like Come on, we're late. Rush, rush, push, push. Like, and then why are we four hours early for this flight? <laughs> well, it's nice to wait here, isn't it? In Carluccio's at Heathrow, rather than rather than at home on the sofa. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm. My family disagree with me for some reason. No, you, what you need is my mum does that and I've inherited it so when we fly we're so happy we're like yeah let's leave six hours good six hours and then we get to the airport we're like oh I can relax do some shopping my brother and my dad were the opposite so if it's just me and my mum it's fine I think you need someone on your team who's yeah. like yeah I agree yeah. let's leave super early because it's completely pointless but the what if we get a flat tire come on and I did car breakdown I he was very smug when 
I was on the Piccadilly line about five hours early for a flight. And there was a, I think it was a terrorist scare in London. It was when the Oxford Circus one happened and they cut the the tube line and no one could get to the airport. And I was like a stop so early. I was a stop away. So I just got the bus to <laughs> and I had everyone ringing me like, oh God, no one's going to make their flights. So I was like, I mean, I, I could make the earlier flight. I'm here. So I was very smart because I was like, <laughs> finally something happened. Yeah, <laughs> like it was yeah. worth it. It was a well worth- done. Yeah, well finally. done. And well done your mum for that training as oh, well. Fantastic. She's trained me very well. Yeah. In, yeah. in sheer anxiety of being late. Um, how do you feel about your own mortality? Is it something you worry about or you feel very accepting of it? I'm not accepting of it. <laughs> I'm very upset about it, actually. <laughs> Uh, hang on, I'm 63, mm. right? So that's only 17 years left. Oh, you know, 80, you can't really think you're going to get more than that. Obviously, I hope if I'm not hurting, I live longer. Mm. But, you know, Bonnie, she just went, I could go the same way. I could have an aneurysm tomorrow. How do I feel about it? I feel sorry for my daughter already. Because oh, yeah. uh, she contacted me yesterday because she wanted to know what sort of sewing machine to buy. And who else would she ask? Who else? <laughs> no. you do, I mean, you know, I, I don't have that person to ask. And you just find other people. Like, that's the thing. I suppose. I, and she is really good at friendships. So I don't really have to worry about it. She's got a great circle of great friends. So I don't have to worry about it. Grayson, on the other hand, I would worry about. Mm. I mean... Would the sheets ever get changed? Just, what would the studio just, look like? Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. You wouldn't be able to open the door. <laughs> it was, oh, my God. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. But then uh, he's also very good at making friends and uh, employing cleaners. And I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> it's complicated. Since I've had children, I... Yeah, the thought that I won't be there for them is 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 awful. Yours are very little as well. Yeah, but what's funny and funny for me is I just want to get, I just want to be here long enough to get a bit further than I did. So yeah. my standards are quite like I'm just like, oh, I just don't want to be. I just want her to be at least in her twenties. Like I don't want her to be a teenager. That's funny. What you know to me, it's like you know that's that a really interesting line of thought actually because I think I had a similar thing because. My parents didn't die until I was in my 50s. Mm. And I thought, I hope that my daughter's in her 50s when I go, because I am quite capable of managing without them now, and this is fine. But would I have been in my 30s? Would I have been in my 40s? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But I... That you just, I think you sort of want to protect them from the pain that you know that you had, don't you? So you're like, that was painful, therefore I would like you not to experience that I'd like you to just be further yeah. along down the line but equally and you're right it it doesn't hurt as much it doesn't mm. it's it's sad but it's not a disaster I mm. think it is a disaster if you lose your a parent at 15 or 10 yeah. or 6 or 2 I think that is a disaster but it isn't a disaster if you lose one at 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 mm. or 70. It's funny though because the other thing is that from being a teenage griever and for talking to so many other teenage grievers I sometimes feel like (laughs) I I did a talk once and a guy spoke 
we were all talking about sort of life-changing experiences and this guy spoke about his near-death experience um, and he'd been very close and he hadn't died, obviously, he was there talking. And he said in the talk, he was like, God, you know, and I thought of my daughter and what would happen if I didn't get to see her, you know, do her GCSEs or get married, <laughs> go to university. And I was next and I was sitting there thinking, I mean, that is my life. <laughs> like, I was like... <laughs> It's so funny. I was it's like, wow. Be fine. Look at me. Yeah. And I did feel a bit like it's funny when someone's worst nightmare is your life. And you're like, oh, and I, I have a very good school friend who lost her dad at eight. And so we obviously connect in that way. And she's always like, oh, for God's sakes. So when people say that, she's like, we're fine. <laughs> we're fine. I mean, maybe you could unpack what fine means. But um, yeah. I do think sometimes that's one thing I sort of not grateful for, but it's, it's a handy positive in amongst not in a lot of negatives in that I do know you can survive these things. You can survive losing a yeah. parent. You can, even if you're 15, you know, 15, 10, all these things, it's, it doesn't stop again. It doesn't take the feeling away of the pain. It doesn't take the sadness away or the tears, but the other side of it, I guess maybe the positive fantasy, if you yeah. want to call it that, is that, yeah, you can be okay. You can be sort of roughly okay most days and still have experienced yeah. something like that. Yeah. I think we live quite a cushioned life now, mm. what with antibiotics and good sanitation, that we've forgotten about death. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. But death is all around us and ever-present and always was and always will be. And... It's almost like we've taken a death pill mm. because of sanitation and antibiotics yeah, yeah. that we've forgotten that it's here. And, and you know, COVID, of course, it's a tragedy. Um, but in the Middle Ages, it would have been, oh, yeah, here we go. Another <laughs> <Yeah>. plague. <laughs> I know. I know. And I spoke to Without you. it being such a sort of like shock horror thing. Yeah. And my friends who work in palliative care have said to me, we've always known you can die any minute. Like, it's like everyone's just yeah. woken up to, oh my God, I could die. You're like, yeah, that's that's not new. <laughs> like, that's yeah. the case. And we always talk in the, in the language about saving a life. You can't mm. save a life. You can prolong it for a bit. Yeah, yeah. But in a hundred years time, it doesn't make any difference if I die now or I die 30 years hence it yeah. won't make any difference there's another myth as well which is like we will never forget you <laughs> we'll always remember you mm. no <laughs> my, my memory will die when my yeah. daughter dies and i will be forgotten and that's it ashes to ashes dust to dust yeah i will be dust <laughs> maybe i i have i have a little fantasy but you know maybe if i'm a very kind loving person you know, really kind and loving rather than acting it. Thanks, mum. But really <laughs> kind and loving. Maybe I'll pass that on to someone like my daughter and she'll become kind and loving mm. and then she'll pass the love on. I think, mm. isn't that what human is, actually? Oh, we just love each other yeah. and we pass that on so we learn how to love each other. Because there are societies that kind of hate each other mm. and um, they're quite aggressive and um, sort of, not community minded i think actually it goes 52 48 percent like that <laughs> <laughs> but i do think I mean, that with with parents and i think it's a really nice way to think about death and you know families and children and and i've, I've said this to other 
parents who are worried about their children and their mortality is like, you know, my dad was a very complicated man. There were lots of flaws, but he really did love me. And I knew that I really did know I was loved. And so when he died, there was obviously years of therapy and lots of things to go for, but I still felt the love. And I think that's all you can do is love them so hard that when you're dead, they still think I can still kind of feel something that is love. Even though I've lost that feeling of being with them, I feel their love still. And you know, you're lovable. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? That's why it's, yeah. Yeah. And then you said that if you can do that to a child, they can then be kind in the world because they felt loved and are lovable and they won't cause pain. And I think, yeah, that's why it's sort of, why parenting is terrifying <laughs> like god i could really i could not just muck up your life i could muck up a lot of lives if you go yeah. out and you haven't been like trained properly um oh yeah well philip it was so nice to talk to you it was wonderful thank you so much um you're welcome i've had a lovely time oh i'm really glad i'm really glad um so thank you so much for talking to me about nance mark and bonnie it was really nice to to speak about them and hear about them yeah thank you so much it was so interesting it's always really interesting talking to psychotherapists on on there and I think you are doing such a great job having a death podcast oh thank people you have forgotten all about death mm-hmm. at the end yeah. of uh my book how to stay sane I put in a hundred years time everyone in the street you can see right now is going to be dead <laughs> and uh I went on to say something deep and profound, but, <laughs> but people picked me up on that. So that was a bit of a downer. I went, no, it's joyful. What? Was it news to you? <laughs> God. So, you know, keep talking about death. The news needs to go out. It's going to happen. Mm, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We should leave, leave the podcast on that note. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen, guys. It's going to happen. You can follow Philippa on Twitter at Philippa Perry, that's P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A underscore Perry. And she's also on Instagram at The Book You Wish. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland with music provided by The Glue Ensemble and was recorded remotely uh, from both mine and Philippa's living rooms respectively. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, you are not alone. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com